Chapters eighty eight to ninety two of Tristram Shandy, Volume four. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clett. The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman. Volume four. Last volume. By Lawrence Stern. Chapter eighty eight. It was like the momentary contest in the moist eyelids of an April morning, whether Bridget should laugh or cry. She snatched up a rolling-pin, t'was ten to one she had laughed. She laid it down, she cried, and had one single tear of em but tasted of bitterness. Full sorrowful would be the corporal's heart have been that he had used the argument. But the corporal understood the sex, a quart-major to a terse at least, better than my uncle Toby, and accordingly he assailed Mrs. Bridget after this manner. I know, Mrs. Bridget," said the corporal, giving her a most respectful kiss, that thou art good and modest by nature, and art withal so generous a girl in thyself, that if I know thee rightly thou wouldst not wound an insect, much less the honour of so gallant and worthy a soul as my master, wast thou sure to be made a countess of? But thou hast been set on and deluded, dear Bridget, as is often a woman's case, to please others more than themselves. Bridget's eyes poured down at the sensations the corporal excited. "'Tell me, tell me, then, my dear Bridget,' continued the corporal, taking hold of her hand, which hung down dead by her side, and giving a second kiss. "'Whose suspicion has misled thee?' Bridget sobbed a sob or two, then opened her eyes. The corporal wiped him with the bottom of her apron. She then opened her heart, and told him all. CHAPTER Eighty Nine. My uncle Toby and the corporal had gone on separately with their operations the greatest part of the campaign, and as effectually cut off from old communication of what either the one or the other had been doing, as if they had been separated from each other by the Mise or the Sambre. My uncle Toby, on his side, had presented himself every afternoon in his red and silver, and blue and gold alternately, and sustained an infinity of attacks in them, without knowing them to be attacks, and so had nothing to communicate. The corporal, on his side, in taking Bridget, by it had gained considerable advantages, and consequently had much to communicate. But what were the advantages, as well as what was the manner by which he had seized them, required so nice a historian that the corporal durst not venture upon it, and as sensible as he was of glory, would rather have been contented to have gone bare-headed and without laurels for ever, than torture his master's modesty for a single moment best of honest and gallant servants. But I have apostrophised thee, Trim, once before, and could I apotheosize thee also, that is to say, with good company, I would do it without ceremony in the very next page. CHAPTER Ninety. Now my uncle Toby had, one evening, laid down his pipe upon the table, and was counting over to himself upon his finger-ends, beginning at his thumb, all Mrs. Wadman's perfections one by one and happening two or three times together, either by omitting some, or counting others twice over, to puzzle himself sadly before he could get beyond his middle finger, "'Prithee, Trim,' said he, taking up his pipe again, "'bring me a pen and ink.' Trim brought paper also. "'Take a full sheet. Trim,' said my Uncle Toby, making a sign with his pipe at the same time to take a chair and sit down close by him at the table. The corporal obeyed, placed the paper directly before him, took a pen, and dipped it in the ink. She has a thousand virtues, Trim," said my uncle Toby. "'Am I to set them down, and please your honour?' quoth the corporal. 
"'But they must be taken in their ranks,' replied my uncle Toby. "'For all of them, Trim, that wins me the most, and which is a security for all the rest, is the compassionate turn and singular humanity of her character. I protest," added my uncle Toby, looking up, as he protested it, towards the top of the ceiling, that was I her brother, Trim, a thousandfold she could not make more constant or more tender enquiries about my sufferings, though now no more." The corporal made no reply to my uncle Toby's protestation, but by a short cough. He dipped the pen a second time into the inkhorn, and my uncle Toby, pointing with the end of his pipe as close to the top of the sheet at the left-hand corner of it as he could get, the corporal wrote down the word, HUMANITY, thus. "'Prithee, corporal,' said my uncle Toby, as soon as Trim had done it, "'how often does Mrs. Bridget inquire after the wound on the cap of thy knee, which thou receivedst at the Battle of London?' "'She never, and please your honour, inquires after it at all.' "'That, corporal,' said my uncle Toby, with all the triumph the goodness of his nature would permit, "'that shows the difference in the character of the mistress and maid. Had the fortune of war allotted the same mischance to me, Mrs. Wadman would have inquired into every circumstance relating to it a hundred times. She would have inquired, and please your honour, ten times as often about your honour's groin. The pain trim is equally excruciating, and compassion has as much to do with the one as the other." "'God bless your honour!' cried the corporal. "'What has a woman's compassion to do with a wound upon the cap of a man's knee? Had your honours been shot into ten thousand splinters at the affair of Landon, Mrs. Wadman would have troubled her head as little about it as Bridget. "'Because,' added the corporal, lowering his voice, and speaking very distinctly, as he assigned his reason, "'the knee is such a distance from the main body, whereas the groin, your honour knows, is upon the very curtain of the place.' My uncle Toby gave a long whistle but in a note which could scarce be heard across the table. The corporal had advanced too far to retire. In three words he told the rest. My uncle Toby laid his pipe as gently upon the fender, as if he had been spun from the unravellings of a spider's web. "'Let us go to my brother Shandy's,' said he. CHAPTER Ninety One. There will be just time, whilst my uncle Toby and Trim are walking to my father's, to inform you that Mrs. Wadman had, some moons before this, made a confidant of my mother, and that Mrs. Bridget, who had the burden of her own as well as her mistress's secret to carry, had got happily delivered of both to Susanna behind the garden wall. As for my mother, she saw nothing at all in it, to make the least bustle about, but Susanna was sufficient by herself for all the ends and purposes you could possibly have in exporting a family secret, for she instantly imparted it by signs to Jonathan, and Jonathan by tokens to the cook as she was basting a loin of mutton. The cook sold it with some kitchen fat to the postillion for a groat, who trucked it with the dairy-maid for something of about the same value, and though whispered in the hay-loft, fame caught the notes with her brazen trumpet, and sounded them upon the housetop. In a word, not an old woman in the village of five miles round who did not understand the difficulties of my uncle Toby's siege, and what were the secret articles which had delayed the surrender. My father, whose way was to force every event in nature into an hypothesis, by which means never man crucified truth at the rate he did, had but just heard of the report as my uncle Toby set out, and catching fire suddenly at the trespass done his brother by it, was demonstrating to Yorick, notwithstanding my mother was sitting by, not only that the devil was in women, and that the whole of the affair was lust, 
but that every evil and disorder in the world, of what kind or nature soever, from the first fall of Adam, down to my uncle Toby's inclusive, was owing one way or another to the same unruly appetite. Yorick was just bringing my father's hypothesis to some temper, when my uncle Toby entering the room with marks of infinite benevolence and forgiveness in his looks, my father's eloquence rekindled against the passion, and as he was not very nice in the choice of his words when he was wroth, as soon as my uncle Toby was seated by the fire, and had filled his pipe, my father broke out in this manner. CHAPTER Ninety Two. That provision should be made for continuing the race of so great, so exalted and godlike a being as man, I am far from denying. But philosophy speaks freely of everything, and therefore I still think and do maintain it to be a pity that it should be done by means of a passion which bends down the faculties, and turns all the wisdom, contemplations, and operations of the soul backwards. A passion, my dear, continued my father, addressing himself to my mother, which couples and equals wise men with fools, and makes us come out of our caverns and hiding-places more like satyrs and four-footed beasts than men. "'I know it will be said,' continued my father, availing himself of the prolepsis, "'that in itself, and simply taken, like hunger or thirst or sleep, tis an affair neither good or bad, or shameful or otherwise. Why, then, did the delicacy of Diogenes and Plato so recalcitrate against it?' And wherefore, when we go about to make and plant a man, do we put out the candle? And for what reason is it that all the parts thereof, the congredients, the preparations, the instruments, and whatever serves thereto, are so held as to be conveyed to a cleanly mind by no language, translation, or periphrasis whatever? The act of killing and destroying a man," continued my father, raising his voice, and turning to my uncle Toby, you see, is glorious, and the weapons by which we do it are honourable. We march with them upon our shoulders, we strut with them by our sides, we gild them, we carve them, we inlay them, we enrich them. Nay, if it be but a scoundrel cannon, we cast an ornament upon the breach of it." My uncle Toby laid down his pipe to intercede for a better epithet, and Yorick was rising up to batter the whole hypothesis to pieces when Obadiah broke into the middle of the room with a complaint which cried out for an immediate hearing. The case was this. My father, whether by ancient custom of the manor, or as improprietor of the great tithes, was obliged to keep a bull for the service of the parish, and Obadiah had led his cow upon a pop-visit to him one day or other the preceding summer. I say, one day or other, because his chance would have it, it was the day on which he was married to my father's housemaid. So one was a reckoning to the other. Therefore, when Obadiah's wife was brought to bed, Obadiah thanked God. Now, said Obadiah, I shall have a calf. So Obadiah went daily to visit his cow. She'll calve on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday at the farthest. The cow did not calve. No, she'll not calve till next week. The cow put it off terribly, till at the end of the sixth week Obadiah's suspicions, like a good man's, fell upon the bull. Now the parish being very large, my father's bull, to speak the truth of him, was no way equal to the department. He had, however, got himself, somehow or other, thrust into employment, and as he went through the business with a grave face, my father had a high opinion of him. "'Most of the townsmen, and please your worship,' quoth Obadiah, "'believe that 'tis all the bull's fault.' "'But may not a cow be barren?' replied my father, turning to Dr. Slop. "'It never happens,' said Dr. Slop but the man's wife may have come before her time naturally enough. Prithee, 
"'Has the child hair upon his head?' added Dr. Slop. "'It is as hairy as I am,' said Obadiah. Obadiah had not been shaved for three weeks. "'Woo!' cried my father, beginning the sentence with an exclamatory whistle. "'And so, brother Toby, this poor bull of mine, who is as good a bull as ever pissed, and might have done for Europa herself in purer times, had he but two legs less, might have been driven into doctor's commons and lost his character, which to a town bull, brother Toby, is the very same thing as his life. "'Lord,' said my mother, "'what is all this story about?' "'A cock and a bull,' said Yorick, "'and one of the best of its kind I ever heard.'" End of chapters 88 to 92 End of The Life and Opinions of Tristram Shandy, Gentleman, Volume 4 of 4, by Lawrence Stern.